Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, registered dietitian and weight loss coach, and you're listening to the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast, a place for practical advice for women looking to balance their hormones, ditch dieting, and discover mindset shifts that will keep you motivated and empowered on your healthy eating journey. Are you ready to get started? Welcome back to another episode of the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and I hope that you're listening to this outside on a walk in nature, doing something that feels good for your body, whether it's movement or something else. I really do hope that you take this time for yourself to do something that's going to make you feel good, make you feel motivated and excited about healthy eating for PCOS. And today I have an especially exciting topic. It is insulin resistance myths. So I know that you know that insulin resistance is a huge priority for women with PCOS and we want to manage it really wisely and strategically so that you can reverse some of your symptoms naturally without having to rely on medications and certainly without having to resort to diets. And today I'm going to share a Facebook live that I did in my private Facebook group, PCOS Insiders, recently all about the five myths that I commonly see women with PCOS get misled by when they're trying to heal. So today's episode is going to really help you understand insulin resistance a little bit better. And I'm hoping that it actually makes you feel more empowered to address it because it's totally doable and you can totally be the boss of your own health by reversing insulin resistance using food and supplementation. And actually, in case you missed it, I'm showing you how to do just that in a brand new masterclass that I'll be delivering live this week. So if you're listening to this in real time, this week I'm delivering a masterclass that is free and going to be live all about the three proven steps that I use to reverse insulin resistance with my clients, and they do not include cutting out all carbs, dieting, or taking metformin. I'm going to show you how to reverse insulin resistance using food and being really strategic with how you eat and when you eat. Well, I'm not going to give it all away, but I want you to go to daphnachazen.com forward slash masterclass and reserve your spot. This is going to be a 60 minute training. And like I said, I'm going to show you how my clients have reversed PCOS symptoms that are rooted in insulin resistance. So we're talking about things like cravings, weight gain, belly fat, fatigue, acne, missing periods, and even inflammation. Everything that I just mentioned can be modified, can be reversed by using a very proven method that I show you how to implement in this training. So if you're a woman with PCOS, there are really, really high chances that insulin resistance is the main driver behind your symptoms, and you'll want to address it before doing anything else. So the good news again is that you can 100% reverse it with food and nutrition, and that's exactly what this training is all about. This is a limited time masterclass, so I'm only going to be delivering it a couple times. And if you join me, I'm going to show you three steps that you can start taking immediately after the masterclass to address insulin. And those include the essential shift that you need to make before changing anything about your food. 
I'm gonna show you how to add carbs into every single meal without feeling like you're making the wrong food choices or that you're worsening your symptoms. And I'm also gonna be sharing how to find out what eating style is best for you and how to strategically leverage the timing of your meals to balance insulin levels within a few short weeks of starting. So I really hope that you sign up and join me live. You can do so by going to daphnachazen.com forward slash masterclass. And those of you who join me live will be also getting a special bonus just for showing up and being awesome. So you definitely want to put this on your calendar. Again, go to daphnachazen.com forward slash masterclass. All right, without any further ado, let's get into my live training about insulin resistance myths that I did in my Facebook group recently. Hey there, everyone. Good morning. How are you? Happy Thursday. I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a great week and that you're ready for the weekend. I'm here today live to talk about insulin resistance and specifically what we're going to talk about are some myths around insulin resistance and there's no shortage of those, but I picked five really common ones that I want to go over today and discuss with you. Now I am using a new streaming service and I'm hoping that I am truly live in the group. I'm just going to do a quick check on my end to see that you can all hear me and see me okay. All right, it does look like I am live. Okay, so let's do this. Let's jump right into talking about insulin resistance. And before we touch on the myths and the misconceptions and give you a better kind of idea of what is true, what is fact when it comes to insulin resistance, I wanna talk about what insulin resistance really is because sometimes there's confusion around that as well. So let's take a big step back and talk about how insulin resistance really occurs, how it develops, especially with PCOS. So insulin resistance is a condition where the body is not responding to insulin. Now, when we eat carbohydrates and some proteins as well, but let's focus only on carbohydrates for right now, when we eat carbohydrates, whether it's a piece of chocolate or candy or a piece of fruit, they all break down to sugar. So all carbohydrates will break down to sugar in your body and that sugar goes from the gut, from the digestive system into the bloodstream. And when it's there, blood sugar goes up because sugar is in the blood. Now, the job of insulin at that point is to come in and take the sugar from the blood and kind of walk it into the cell. So insulin is that key that opens the door to the cell so that sugar can go in and then it's burnt off for energy inside the cell. That's how we stay alive. That's how we keep ourselves functioning and all our organs are functioning. Now, when insulin is not doing its job, the key is not working. So insulin cannot allow sugar to go into the cell. And what happens is that uh, when sugar can't get into the cell, it starts accumulating in the blood, okay? And then more insulin comes in and tries to get that sugar into the cells. Nothing is working and insulin keeps going higher and higher. Now, it's not like all the sugar is staying in the bloodstream. Some is going in, and we're going to talk about that. But what's important to know about insulin resistance is that there's a miscommunication between our brain and insulin. And insulin is being released. It is being secreted, but um, it's not doing its job properly. The body is not responding to it. So it's kind of like the body is seeing insulin being released, but it's saying, oh, we don't need you right now, or it's kind of being ignored. Insulin's being ignored. 
So hopefully this makes sense. It's really important to understand that blood sugar and insulin resistance are related, but it's not necessarily true to say that blood sugar is high if you have insulin resistance, okay? So this is actually the first myth that I wanna talk about. I'm seeing some comments coming in. One thing I wanna tell you is that I'm using this uh, streaming service and as you can see, I felt fancy today and I put some banners in. <laughs> but one thing that I'm realizing is that um, the, the comments are coming up, but I'm not seeing your name. I only see it says Facebook user. So I'm not seeing who's commenting. So, but definitely jump into the comments, say hi, tell me if you can hear me and see me okay. And then just please know that I can see your questions. I can see your comments. I can't see who's posting them. There's something that you need to do on your end in order to allow Facebook to access your name or this StreamYard uh, service to access your name. So I think you have to go to um, facebook.com forward slash StreamYard and just allow it to see your name. But you don't have to do that right now. I want you to stay right here because we're about to go into myth number one um, when it comes to insulin resistance, but I do want to see your questions, your comments, all of that can go into the chat. You can type in your name before your question and that will kind of, you know, bypass this little problem. Okay. All right. So if you're here, jump into the comments, say hi, don't be snooty. Tell me what's up. What are you up to today? And what is the biggest issue that you have with insulin resistance? I want to know what are you most confused about when it comes to insulin resistance and what you want to learn more about and what are some of the things that you've already tried? Okay, so what we're going to do is now that we know what insulin resistance is, okay, so it's essentially a situation where insulin keeps piling up in the blood and it's not doing its job. So the body thinks that blood sugar is still high, even though sometimes it's not, and it keeps sending signals to the pancreas to release more insulin. And the problem with this, specifically with PCOS, is that insulin resistance, having too much insulin in your system, is gonna create fatigue, and the reason insulin resistance causes fatigue, if you've ever wondered what the connection is, is because not enough sugar is going into the blood, into the cells, it's staying in the bloodstream, we don't get energy, okay? So when sugar is burnt off in the cell, it produces energy. The byproduct of that is something called ATP. It's a, it's a unit of energy in the body. So when insulin is not doing its job, sugar is not going into the cells, we don't produce energy. So we feel sluggish, we feel fatigued, we wanna sleep all the time, and we wanna eat all the time too because energy in the body is oftentimes calories. And when the cells don't have enough energy, they're gonna signal to the brain to go seek out more calories. And generally speaking, the way we're programmed is to seek out calories from the most dense sources of energy. So those are carbs, sweets, high fat foods. This is why nobody ever craves kale. By the way, you can teach yourself how to crave healthy foods. It's something I teach my clients to do. But generally speaking, nobody craves vegetables. Nobody craves a hard boiled egg, right? Nobody craves a slice of turkey. Everyone craves sweets, sugar, carbs, pasta, high fat foods, ice cream, candy, those are the types of things that the brain will signal us to crave when it's searching energy because our, those are very condensed sources of energy, okay? So what I wanted you to, um, 
what I, I'm going to get into your comments in a second. So what I wanted you to know is that cravings are a result of insulin resistance. Fatigue is a result of insulin resistance. Things like um, belly fat, insulin resistance as well. And also missing periods and everything related to high androgens, because when there's too much insulin in the body, it's going to start acting on the ovaries. So insulin is just circulating around, having no purpose, no ability to do its job. It's going to start acting on different tissues in your body and specifically on the ovaries. And it's going to make them release testosterone. That is what insulin does when there's too much of it in the system. There's actually insulin receptors, which are these kind of like um, little, I guess, holes or, or, or um, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but insulin attaches to them on the ovaries. And that is what signals the ovary to release testosterone. So we see hair growth, hair loss, acne, and then um, missing periods, lack of ovulation. Those are all the result of insulin resistance. Okay. So this is why it's super important to address insulin resistance head on. It's really the core of a lot of PCOS issues. And when we're talking about treating the root cause, we're talking about treating insulin resistance. So that's what we're going to talk about today. All right, Sophie, you're saying you're not sure about working out your carb tolerance. Also, the difference between using berberine versus myo-inositol for insulin resistance. So I don't know if you watched last week's um, live where I talked about supplements. Both of, both of those supplements are good for insulin resistance. It's really going to come down to what other issues you're having. Um, so someone who knows more about your medical health can give you a distinction between how those two may work out for you. Um, regarding carb tolerance, I have my masterclass next week about three steps to reversing uh, insulin resistance. And I definitely want you to come to that. It's a live free training that I'm doing where I'm going to talk about carb tolerance a little bit more and how to address it, how to get started with it. That's one of the steps that I'm going to be covering in the masterclass. So definitely um, make sure that you come to that and you can go to DaphnaChazen.com forward slash masterclass. And there are a few time options there. You can find what works best for you and make sure you come live because I have a special bonus for anyone who shows up live. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, let's get into the first myth that I want to talk about today. I already touched on it a little bit, but this is a big one. A lot of people think that if they're insulin resistant, it means that their blood sugar is high or they're pre-diabetic or maybe even diabetic. Okay, so this is not true. And if you've ever gone to a doctor and your labs were fine, your blood sugar was fine, but they still told you your insulin resistance, here's resistant here, take metformin or try to do something about insulin. You have proof that that is true. It doesn't need to be that your blood sugar is high to be insulin resistant, okay? Now, having insulin resistance for a really long time, for years and years where it's not managed properly, if it's not controlled properly, it does increase your risk for diabetes tremendously. But just having been diagnosed with PCOS and knowing that you are likely dealing with insulin resistance does not mean that your blood sugar is high. In most cases, the clients that I work with and many women that I've worked with over the years, their blood sugar is perfectly normal. It's right in the range. It's beautiful. And that goes for their glucose, which is your, you know, when you take your blood, that is a snapshot in time where you, you look at your glucose number. That is what your blood sugar was at that moment that your blood was taken and your A1C. 
your A1C, hemoglobin A1C, is your three-month blood sugar average. So that's a better number to look at than your blood glucose because it shows us what your blood sugar was like in the past three months. So if you've never had your hemoglobin A1C tested, you can ask your doctor for that. It's a very important test to look at, again, because it doesn't just show us one number, it shows us a long-term average. So you may see that even your A1C is normal. And that means most of the time your blood sugar is in the right range. Where how, how could that be if you're insulin resistant? Where what happens is in the body is that your body is very smart and its main priority is to keep things balanced. Now, I know with hormonal imbalances, it may not seem like that's the case or that your body's doing its job in keeping the balance. But when it comes to blood sugar, it's a huge priority for the body to keep blood sugar under control because our blood sugar dictates a lot of our other bodily functions. Now, when blood sugar is too high, it's going to damage your vessels. It, it can damage your eyesight. It can damage your kidneys, your nerves. It can even damage every single vessel in your body and increase your risk for heart disease. So it's a major priority for the body to keep blood sugar down. And it's going to do this even at the expense of releasing too much insulin, which is exactly what happens in insulin resistance. If we have, we ate a meal, blood sugar is going trending up, insulin comes in, but it cannot get the blood sugar back down. Okay. And that blood sugar may still be in the right range. So it's perfectly normal for your blood sugar to go up after a meal. That's what you want your body to do. What you don't want it to do is to spike too high. So if you ate a meal, blood sugar went slightly higher, insulin comes in, but it cannot take it down. It cannot do its job of reducing your, your blood sugar levels. So now the body is saying, okay, let's send more insulin and still it's not working. And some blood sugar may go into the cell, but most of it stays in your bloodstream and insulin keeps pumping out of the pancreas to continue to bring the blood sugar to the normal range slowly. This is how insulin resistance can develop even if your blood sugar is not high. So let me know in the comments if this makes sense. I really wanna know that this is making sense, but in essence, you have to know that the body's main priority is to keep blood sugar down. So it's gonna release more and more insulin as much as it needs to, to bring it down to the normal level. But what you're left with is really high amounts of insulin. And that's something we do not want. So it's good that blood sugar is not high, but it's not good that it took so much insulin to bring it down, okay? So when someone doesn't have insulin resistance, it's gonna take a lot less insulin for that person to level their blood sugars off, right? So it just takes that much more insulin for someone with insulin resistance to manage their blood sugar, but they are not diabetic, they're not pre-diabetic, and their blood sugar levels are generally not running high. They're not running abnormally high. Now again, over time, if we didn't do anything about insulin resistance, even the insulin that is working now, some of it is working, is going to stop working. And now blood sugar will keep piling up in the blood. So that's what we don't want. But that could take years, decades to develop. If you manage insulin resistance well from the get-go and you do what you need to do in order to reduce the demand for insulin in your body, none of that should happen.
you should never develop diabetes. You should never develop even pre-diabetes. Okay. So don't worry about that. I want you to really take care of insulin resistance from the root, from, from kind of the bottom of it. And then you would not have to worry about any of this. Okay. Hey, Nicole. Nicole says, what is it that causes insulin resistance in women with PCOS? I see it's like a feedback loop, but where did it start? Yeah, so it's a really good question. We don't really know what causes PCOS. It's not that insulin resistance causes PCOS or that PCOS causes insulin resistance. It's just a matter of the hormonal imbalances that are under the surface. So I don't know that anyone knows if it's kind of like chicken or the egg situation, what came first. Um, but I, I do know that, you know, PCOS is both a reproductive and a metabolic um, disorder. And some women do manifest more of the metabolic derangements, which are going to be just higher levels of insulin to begin with. It's just part of how the, the um, there are actually two genetic types of PCOS. And one of the types is this metabolic type where there's just so much insulin being produced. Um, and that causes a lot of the symptoms. But whether or not that was there before, you know, the symptoms of PCOS were there, I'm not sure. The other type, the other genetic type that was discovered is a reproductive type. And these women have higher levels of luteinizing hormone, um, but they don't necessarily have insulin resistance. So not everyone with PCOS has insulin resistance, but most women do. Okay, so I know this doesn't specifically answer your question, but um, I, I, we don't really know. We don't really know what specifically causes the insulin resistance. Okay, so that was myth number one. Number two that I'm going to move into is cutting out carbs is the best way to manage insulin resistance. If you've been with me for a little while, you know I love carbs. I don't agree with cutting them. I don't want you to be cutting them. I don't think it's helpful. I actually think it could be damaging. So we're not cutting carbs over here. And when I say cut carbs, I'm talking about things like keto or very low carbohydrate diets where the carbohydrate counts are below 100 grams a day, or maybe you're even eating like only 20 or 30% of your calories coming from carbs, that's way too low in my book. I don't uh, operate that way, I don't recommend that, and I haven't seen good results with clients who have done that in other places. They usually end up working with me, upping their carb intake and feeling much better and seeing a lot more results. Now here's the thing, when you're cutting carbs, you are essentially um, gonna be replacing them with more protein and more fat, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute. That may be a good approach if someone does have diabetes, okay? So there's a difference between insulin resistance and diabetes and PCOS and diabetes. In diabetes, like we had just said, blood sugar is already high. So we want to bring it down. And the way that we do that is by minimizing the amount of carbohydrates that you're eating. With insulin resistance, we don't need to do that because like we just said, blood sugar is not high to begin with. So I don't want to focus on cutting back on carbs. That's not going to help me. It's going to lower my blood sugar, but my insulin is still high. Okay. So we don't want to focus on cutting out all carbs with insulin resistance because that would be treating it like it's diabetes where blood sugar is high. It is not. What we want to do is reduce the demand for insulin. Okay. And the way that we do that is by 
spacing out the carbohydrates properly throughout the day, timing them in a certain way, making sure that you're choosing the right types of carbohydrates that are going to break down very, very slowly in your body. And we also want to make sure that we're not um, consuming too many carbs in one sitting. So a lot of times I have people who come to me and they'll eat oatmeal for breakfast with maybe dried fruit, maybe a banana on the side, maybe they eat cereal with milk and, and a glass of juice or things like that. That's way too many carbohydrates in one sitting. But all of those individual foods are okay to eat. You can have all of them in one day, just not in the same meal. Okay. So it's really important that you understand there is a certain amount of carbohydrates that need to be at your meals that is optimized for what you're trying to do. And that's where the carb tolerance comes in. Your carb tolerance is the amount of carbohydrates that is just right. It's your sweet spot for carbohydrates that's going to help you enjoy those foods, feel full, feel energized, not like you need a nap after a meal, but also manage your weight, reduce your symptoms, and hopefully over time, reverse your PCOS, okay? You can't cure your PCOS, but you can reverse your symptoms to the point where they're not there. You can't notice them, okay? That's what you want. And dialing in the carb tolerance is going to help you with that. Cutting out your carbohydrates is not going to help you with that because what you're going to do is you're going to be replacing those carbohydrates with a lot of high fat foods and a lot of high protein foods. And I'm going to talk in a second about why that is a problem. But, um, but what I want you to know is that if you're looking at a, a diet that has no sugar, no grains, no beans, yes, I'm talking about Whole30, keto, or anything along those lines where there's a lot of foods that are not allowed and most of them are carbohydrates, first of all, burnout is going to be fast, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be really, really um, low for you. You're going to feel low because you're going to feel like you couldn't stick with it. You're going to feel like that diet wasn't sustainable for you, and you're going to feel like you failed. And that's not a good headspace to be in, okay? So I want you to think about diets like Whole30, which I know are super trendy. They are actually highly restrictive. I had someone message me on uh, Instagram a list of foods that she got in another PCOS group that I, I'm not going to mention the name of it. And literally the, the amount of unallowed foods was way longer than the amount of allowed foods. The, the list, there was rice, there was pasta, there was chocolate. I don't know about you. I don't want to ever eliminate those foods from my diet. And I would never recommend that you do that because that's not a good, again, mentally, that's going to be really hard to keep up. PCOS is a lifelong condition. You don't want to use a 30 day challenge to manage your PCOS. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right. So that was about cutting out carbs. Now let's talk about what happens when you do cut out carbs. A lot of people think they need to eat protein and fat to manage their insulin resistance. And that's myth number three. If you're multitasking, I want you to come back to me and listen to this real good. Okay. Protein and fat worsen insulin resistance when they're eaten in high amounts. So there are lots of studies that show that eating high amounts of protein will actually increase insulin resistance because insulin is released in response to protein. So more protein is not necessarily better, okay? We don't want to exceed levels of 100 and 120 grams and drinking protein shakes all day long, 
Okay. You're doing your body a huge disservice. You can actually harm yourself more because insulin will also be released in response to too much protein in your diet. Now, the other part of it is that usually when people go on high protein diets, they're adding animal proteins and animal protein have a lot of saturated fat. Now I'm not saying don't eat animal protein, not at all. It's a huge part of my program. However, if you're eating less carbs and more high fat protein and more saturated fat from things like cream cheese and bacon and, um, you know, uh, ribs and other high fat foods, as you would see with keto, you will be worsening your insulin resistance because studies do show that saturated fat is worse for insulin resistance than sugar. Okay. Saturated fats can worsen insulin resistance to a much higher degree than any carbohydrates or sugar that you may be eating. So having fat in your diet in such high amounts will actually reduce your insulin sensitivity further. Okay. So anytime you're cutting carbs, you're going to be adding more protein, adding more fat, specifically saturated fat, you're likely not going to see good results with that because insulin resistance will be worse off because of the saturated fat. Okay. So I want to know if you have any questions about this, I'm going to jump into the comments in a second, but other than the fact that cutting out the carbs and focusing on protein is highly unsustainable, it also is not good for your thyroid. So those of you who have both PCOS and Hashimoto's, you're, you're going to want to be very careful with cutting out carbohydrates because that's going to reduce your thyroid hormone even further. It's also going to be disrupting your gut. So not including fiber, when you're cutting out carbs, you're cutting out fiber, that's going to do a, a number on your gut. So we don't want to do that. Okay. This is why I don't believe in reducing carbohydrates to very low amounts. I also don't believe in focusing only on fat and protein. Again, there are scientific studies showing that when people do this, they're actually worse off in terms of their insulin resistance. In the beginning, in the first few weeks, they're better off. But then once they look at long-term data, they see when people eat keto or when they used to do Atkins, which was a version of keto, a very similar concept, um, after six months, not only was there no difference um, in terms of the weight loss, but their insulin resistance got worse. So I think that is a very important concept to understand. All right, let me jump into the comments a little bit. Um, you're welcome, Nicole. Um, Nicole also asks, is there a general percentage calories from fat you want to stay under every day? Uh, that's a good question. So I usually recommend, yeah, around 20, 25% coming from fat, 20, 25% coming from um, protein, and usually 50% from carbs. Unless again, you're working with me, that's like my blanket recommendation. If you're working with me more closely, we're definitely going to tweak that and work based off, off of your carb tolerance a little bit more specifically, but that's a, a good place to start. I would even you know, go as high as 30% coming from fat if you're really good with um, including plant-based fats. So nuts and seeds and avocados and olives and all of those great things, you can go up to 30%. Sophie, do you have a recommendation for ratio of carbs, proteins, fat? Okay, so we just answered that. So, all right, good. You guys have very similar questions, which means that you're all thinking the same way, which is great. Okay, 
Shall we move on to myth number five? Let's do it. Okay, so just to recap, we talked about insulin resistance not equaling high blood sugar, prediabetes, or diabetes. We talked about the fact that you do not, oh, did I skip one? Yeah, I think I skipped one. I skipped the medication one. Let's go back to that. Okay, so this myth is number two. I'm sorry. I have to take a medication to treat insulin resistance? Absolutely not, okay? So many times you will go to your doctor, they'll give you metformin and they'll say, here, take this, go figure it out. <laughs> so we don't necessarily, there's no problem with taking metformin. So I'm not against it. Most of my clients have taken it or are still taking it and many of them are seeing good results. It's helpful. But if you do not wanna rely on a medication or you wanna try, you know, nutrition and supplements first, there are actually great supplements like we had talked about last week that can sensitize your body to insulin and have less side effects than metformin. So you do not only have the choice of metformin or similarly birth control or spironolactone, don't ever think that those are your only options. You have a huge variety of options with your nutrition, with supplements and with lifestyle changes that can be just as effective, if not more so than a medication. The one thing I'm going to say is medications work faster. That's always going to be the case, right? So it's a little bit tempting to go on a medication because it works faster. It's going to give you relief quicker. And that's why, you know, sometimes um, people are scared to come off of the medications, which is reasonable and legitimate. And I understand that. But please know that when you invest time into your nutrition and supplements and lifestyle habits, you're going to reap the benefits of that way longer than the medication. Okay, you probably don't want to stay on a medication long term. So what happens is a medications work quickly, but it doesn't work as deeply. A medication will take care of the surface symptom, but it's not going to solve the problem. So with something like metformin, it doesn't actually reduce your body's secretion of insulin, it actually just sensitizes your body to insulin. So what it does is it's helping your body to recognize insulin and use it better, but it's actually not reducing the amount of insulin that's being secreted. You still have a lot of insulin being secreted in most cases. Whereas with nutrition, what we're gonna work on is reducing your body's demand for insulin. So that's a better way to go. That's addressing the root cause, which is too much insulin. So, you know, with the medication, there's pros and cons. It works quickly, it's effective, but it doesn't take care of the problem. It takes care of the manifestation of the problem, which is your symptom. With nutrition, it's a long game. Long game. We're, we're in it for the long haul. We need to invest time. We need to invest, you know, effort. We need to plan. We need to work on habit change, which is hard to do, but you reap the benefits longer and you take care of the problem. You remove the issue from the source. Okay. So it's a personal choice and you can do both. You can do both. You can start with the medication while you're working on lifestyle changes and dialing all of your nutrition and supplements in and seeing what works during this time, which can take several months you're on a medication. So you're, you're helping yourself feel better. You're sensitizing your body to insulin and hopefully you're seeing good results. So you don't have to do either or, but for me, my goal with my clients is always to help them come off a medication eventually. 
Okay, so you don't have to take a medication. You can if you want to, but don't use it to replace working on the root cause through lifestyle, nutrition, and supplementation. Okay, I'm sorry I skipped that. I don't know how that happened. Okay, let's move on to talking about cardio workouts. And this is myth number five. So cardio workouts are the best way to lower insulin levels. I want to know in the chat, if you work out, what kind of workouts do you do? And whether you mix it up, cardio, strength, um, do you prefer one way or another? Do you do yoga, Pilates? What type of workouts do you normally do? Let me know in the chat. Going to give you a second to put that in. Now, what I want you to know about movement, and this is very important because we hear a lot of chatter on social media, and sometimes I go on social media and I'm confused, and I'm an expert in this. <laughs> so I can only imagine what it's like to go on social media and literally every post in your feed says something different. What are you supposed to do? <laughs> so when it comes to workouts, there is a lot of don't do this, do that. Your cortisol will shoot up. Don't you dare running. Don't just do yoga. Do it slowly. Big muscle groups, large, small muscle groups, all of the things. I want you to know that what works for you is different than what's going to work for someone else. However, when it comes to insulin resistance, all movement, no matter what intensity, what duration, what frequency, all movement works in the same way when it comes to your insulin resistance. And that is when you move, it's like a wake up call. It's like an alarm to your cells to start drinking up insulin. Okay. So if I were to get up from this chair and start walking, my cells would wake up right away and start lowering my insulin levels. Now, of course, if I walk faster rather than slower, it's going to happen faster and to a greater degree. But any type of movement is going to wake up your cells and it's going to tell them, okay, we need more energy to keep this movement going. Let's take up the insulin so that the sugar can get in. Okay, so exercise or movement of any type immediately sensitizes your cells to insulin in a really good way. So again, it does not have to be any specific type of movement, any specific type of workout routine. Um, in order for this to happen. Um, let me see what you said in the chat. Um, Nicole says, I do yoga and walking. Great. Kayla says, I've been doing strength training recently. I love yoga and I do use an exercise bike. Well, good for you. That's awesome. You used to do heat training, but you prefer Pilates and yoga. Okay. I follow a beach body workout mix of cardio and slow weight training. Awesome. And Sophie says, strength training, yoga, walking, used to do loads of cardio, but you switched. How come you switched? I think you were mentioning this in the other post that you were feeling a little fatigued and um, kind of run down from your um, cardio. So let us know. Okay. So here's the thing. Like I just said, any movement is going to help you with insulin sensitivity. And that is a very important thing that you're going to want to know about. Um, what we know from studies is that you don't have to exercise for a long time for the exercise to be effective in reducing insulin levels. So actually, 
short bouts of activities specifically around your meals. So after mealtime, like taking a walk after lunch or after dinner is especially effective in reducing insulin levels. So a lot of times people work out before their meals or when they're fasted. But what we know from studies actually is that if you did a shorter bout movement session after a meal, say within 30 minutes of finishing lunch, you took a 20, 15, 20 minute walk. That is really effective in reducing the need for insulin because your body will be taking up the sugar because the cells woke have woken up, like I just said before. So I know it's not always feasible. I know it's not always something that's realistic, but if you keep this in mind where it doesn't have to be a long gym session, it doesn't have to be super intense, and it doesn't even have to happen every single day, you can start incorporating movement into your day around your mealtime that can really help reduce insulin resistance and you know help your body to train itself to lower those sugar levels with less insulin after your meals. Okay, so short bouts of activity are definitely very, very beneficial. The other thing that's beneficial, um, and someone mentioned this here, is workouts that use large muscle groups. So things like squats or lunges, or just, you know, walking, which uses a lot of your larger muscle groups can be very beneficial for insulin resistance, because there's a lot more insulin receptors on our, our big muscle groups. So whenever we work those out, we're going to be in better position to reduce insulin resistance. So I'm going to say short bouts of activity, time them around your meals, if possible, and then use large muscle groups. If you're doing strength training, things like squats, lunges, things that use your leg, your back muscles, things like that can really help with reducing insulin resistance. So it does not have to be intense cardio. It doesn't have to be interval training. It doesn't really have to be any of those things. And it doesn't have to be really, really long. Okay. So just keep that in mind. Okay, Sophie, so you're saying you were feeling very run down from cardio, you put on loads of weight, you felt agitated after workouts and very weak. Now you feel strong, calm and fitter. Well, that's a benefit. That's amazing. Um, I'm really, really happy to hear that. I think that um, I have a lot of clients who go hard at the gym, and then they feel exactly the same way. And it's counterintuitive to say, work out less, do it less intensely, do it for less time, less weights. But then when you start seeing that your body is actually more agreeable to those workouts, you understand that you really need to adjust, you really need to listen to your body. If you're sore for three days after a workout, and like Sophie's saying, you feel agitated, you feel irritable, you're not feeling good, it didn't feel good in your body, your body is responding, it's, it's like outraged by the workout, it's not the right regimen for you. You don't need to force it. Um, does intense interval training increase cortisol production? Maybe. The answer is yes, no, and maybe. Okay, so it really depends. If your cortisol levels are well balanced to begin with, it shouldn't. I don't know, you know, how often are you doing it? You probably don't want to do it every single day. You probably don't want to go too, too hard in terms of if the intervals include weights or sprinting or things like that, you may, if you're someone who feels like you have some issues with adrenal fatigue, 
So if you're constantly tired, if you're feeling run down, if you're um, wired, tired and wired, like you're really tired, but you have trouble sleeping, those are all signs of adrenal fatigue. And so you may not be a good candidate for interval training. But if your insulin, uh, if your cortisol levels are not an issue, and you can get that tested, by the way, um, then it shouldn't. A lot of people do interval training and they love it and it works great for them. So you have to see what the signs are after those workouts. If you're feeling amazing, if you're feeling stronger, more energized, no, that's fine. Keep doing it. Not all intense workouts increase your cortisol and your cortisol should be going up when you work out. It just should go back down afterwards. If it doesn't go back down afterwards, maybe we do have a problem with your adrenals. But if it, it should be going up, that's what it's supposed to do. But we want it to come back down. And the way you feel after those workouts will tell you. Okay. So hopefully this answered your question. So we're going to wrap it up. I want you to go to DaphnaChazen.com forward slash masterclass and sign up for my training next week. It's not going to be here on Facebook. I'm doing it separately. It's a live training, limited time. I'm not going to be offering it beyond uh, the next kind of 10 days. So there are a few time options. If you want to learn the three proven steps that I use to reverse insulin resistance and make sure that all of those myths that we talked about today are dialed in, they're taken care of. You don't have to worry about the negative impact of insulin resistance if you're doing these three things that I'm gonna be talking about at this masterclass. Go pick out a time that works for you, show up live, I have a fun bonus if you do, and I'm gonna hopefully see you there. There will be a replay sent out, but I wanna see you there live. So go to DaphnaChazen.com forward slash masterclass. You'll find a few time options there and all the details about the training. And I look forward to it. It's going to be fun. All right. I'll see you here again next week. I'll announce the topic in the group. If you have other questions, put them below this post and I'll go back later today and check it out. All right. Have a great rest of the week and weekend and I'll see you soon. Bye.